Well, we're in a study in the book of James, and we're in a section of James where we take the faith test. So one of the ways we test our faith is to ask this, are we living a life of wisdom, and are we making choices that lead to good things or to chaos? I'm very intrigued with the idea that in the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, every time wisdom's referred to, it's always in the feminine. Think about that, guys. When wisdom's referred to, it's always in the feminine. By the way, for many of the women out there, you're going, well, that makes sense to me. <laughs> but we thought it would be really cool in this section of James for you to hear from three women on our staff, three pastors who are incredibly wise. Now, I'm not even kidding. These women are women of wisdom. These are godly women who love the Lord, love his word and have made our church so much better in the way that they have brought people close to Jesus. And they're gonna do that for you today in a very powerful, very wise, very incredible way. So right now, Crossroads, I want you to join me and welcome pastors Talia, Lauren, and Patty. Welcome them now. back in. So what else has come out of you guys in this last year? Where else have you been squeezed? Virtual school has squeezed a lot of you parents out there, and now you're dealing with part-time school on different days and trying to maintain a work-life balance. Financial pressure, that's squeezed a lot of us. There's also this relational tension in our homes. I will say in my home for sure, all the differing opinions and feelings about COVID and our response to it and not to diminish the incredible amount of loss that so many people have experienced right now. So many have lost someone or something incredibly valuable for them. Through all this pressure, has your life revealed something that you've loved or something that you've hated? Have you guys seen your jealous, sign come, your jealous side come out playing the comparison game? Or has your generosity increased? Have you guys developed bitterness with someone who wasn't even on your radar before? Uh, or have you had more compassion than others? Has your anger bubble been triggered, right? You know that feeling? Or have you had more patience than ever? How about this one? Have you discovered that what's inside of you is this intense fear gripping you, knocking you over? Or have you turned to trust God and his process? Has your response to suffering been one of gossip or one of prayer? And my favorite, have you jumped to more conclusions and believed more conspiracy theories in the past, um, or have you chosen to meditate and rest? Well, all of these things together, what comes out of you shows who has control over you when you are squeezed. We are going to draw on James's words together, and we're going to take the faith test today and figure this out. James that we are going to focus on today were written to a group of believers who were in need of some wisdom on how to face some things in their culture and in their lives. And as Christians, we believe that all wisdom comes from God. And so we turn to the book of James, who was the very half-brother of Jesus, who got his wisdom from God himself through living alongside of Jesus. Now, side note, uh, I'm kind of wondering what it would have been like to have been 
Jesus's brother. I mean, did they hang out together? Did they play with each other? And you know Jesus never sinned, right? So any kind of argument that they had uh, totally would have been the result of James, right? So I actually wonder if it was a little bit like this. I like reading the Bible. I was reading the Bible, found out, uh, found out Jesus had a little brother. Anybody know his name? James. When I read that, I was like, how much pressure was that? <laughs> Jesus, your big brother? How many times did you have to hear, why come you can't be more like Jesus, James? Because <laughs> you know, everybody probably thought that James could do the same thing Jesus could do, but he couldn't. He was just James. He wasn't James Christ. <laughs> Remember the wedding banquet? Jesus turned water into wine. Everybody was amazed, but they don't tell you about the next banquet. Jesus left early. They started running out of wine. Everybody looked at James. <laughs> it's like, man, last time this happened, your brother made some wine, dude. You, you're just going to stand there with your sandals on? You're not going <laughs> to make some Kool-Aid or something, man? You're not going to do anything? man, I love that sandals line. <laughs> um, but really though, James learned through firsthand accounts of living alongside of Jesus himself what godly wisdom looked like and how to apply it. And so he writes to these Jewish believers who have been dealing with things like favoritism and jealousy, fear, bitterness, not to mention exile and persecution. And the persecution that they were facing was real and it was intense loss of businesses, loss of homes, being separated from their family, being kicked out of the cities that they lived in, and death. And all of that simply because they had faith in Jesus. In fact, uh, the death of Stephen that we can read about in Acts chapter 7 happened just before this letter. And so these were a people who were also grieving. They were being squeezed. Now, there was a time a few years back uh, when I actually went through a season of being squeezed. It was a couple years ago, and in that time, um, it was really painful. It was a really hard trial that I walked through. I felt betrayed. I felt hurt. You know, I was squeezed for sure. And I needed wisdom. I needed wisdom on how to handle what was being thrown at me, how to respond, what to do. And that's the same with these Jewish believers. They too were in need of wisdom, not just wisdom on how to make a decision, but wisdom on how to live their lives. And so James writes to them to comfort and encourage suffering believers in the face of hardship and to strengthen them for faithful living. And so let's keep these thoughts in mind as we look at James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Now, in the very beginning, James gives us a faith test. He says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Now, right out the bat, James calls us out. He calls out any one of us who calls ourselves a Christian or a Jesus follower or a believer he says, basically, we need to prove it by living with godly wisdom. But how do we do that? I mean, what does that even really look like? Now, in 
order to know what godly wisdom looks like and if we're following it, it's really helpful to know what the opposite of God's wisdom looks like. So James is first going to describe the opposite of God's wisdom. He's gonna describe worldly wisdom. Now, throughout the Bible, God is showing people that his way of doing life is better than any other way. He created people, so he knows what's best for people. But since the beginning of time, we humans have determined that our way of doing life is better than God's way. And James is reminding Christians that we have actually signed up to live life differently than the world. We have signed up to live life according to God's way of doing things. And we're supposed to look a lot different than the world. So we've seen throughout the book of James that he's painted these really contrasting pictures between Christians' lives and people who are not living according to Jesus' way's lives. And so right now he's going to paint another shockingly contrasting picture between God's wisdom and the world's wisdom. So let's look at what he says in James 3, 14 through 16. He says, but if you are bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Now, I want to focus on this word disorder for a minute. The New Testament was written in Koine Greek, and the word there used for disorder has this meaning of tumultuous, chaotic, confusion, commotion, and just disorder. It's this awful feeling, right? And so I want to know, is your life, when you were squeezed this last year, what came out of you? Was your life characterized by chaos and instability and confusion? Does your life constantly feel chaotic? Now, as you're thinking about that, I wanna talk to the parents in the room for a minute. If you are a parent of multiple children, you might tell me, my life is characterized by chaos, but not because I'm following the world's wisdom, just because I got a lot of kids. And I'm with you, I've got a lot of kids too. But I think all of us as parents would agree that when you have your first child, everything is a big deal, right? You are reading all of the wisdom you possibly can because you don't wanna make a mistake, you don't wanna mess up this kid. You're on edge constantly and you get zero sleep, right? So um, when I was a first time mom, my firstborn child was eight months old and he had a fever and a runny nose for the first time, I was a complete wreck, a complete wreck. So I do what any rookie mom would do. I go to the internet for wisdom late at night after my baby is asleep. I Google his symptoms, fever and runny nose. The first thing that pops up is spinal meningitis. Oh my gosh, my kid has spinal meningitis. I quickly scroll through the rest of the symptoms and I see on there that it says sensitivity to light. I have to know if he's sensitive to light, but he's asleep, but I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go into my baby's room. I go into my sleeping baby's dark room and I pick him up out of a dead sleep and I turn on the light and I wake him up and he squints his eyes and he rubs them and he starts to cry. And then I start to cry and in a full on panic, I call to my husband and say, oh my gosh, he's got spinal meningitis. He's sensitive to light. We have to take him to the hospital. He's going to die. My sweet and godly wise husband does everything he can not to laugh at me. 
and very calmly says, of course he's sensitive to light. You picked him up out of a dead sleep in a dark room and turned the lights on. Everyone is sensitive to light when you do that. And I'm like, what, are you Dr. Fauci now? No, I, I didn't say that. Turns out my husband was right. Um, my son had a cold. He was over it within seven days. But the point is, is that when I followed popular wisdom, it led me to chaos. But the kind of chaos that James is talking about here, that worldly wisdom leads us to, is usually a lot more serious than having a minor freak-out moment late at night in your house. When you look at your finances, at your marriage, at your parenting, at your relationships, would you use the words chaotic, unstable, and confusing to describe them? If so, we need to know what leads to this kind of chaos so that we can avoid these situations. And James says the words jealousy and selfishness or selfish ambition three times each in verses 14 through 16. And he says that these are the things that lead to this kind of chaos. Now, I have a question for you. And those of you who are watching online, you can put it in the chat. How many of you would describe this last political season in our country as chaotic and confusing. Yeah, it was crazy, right? Well, how did we get there? Well, I would say there was a lot of selfish ambition and jealousy going on there, right? Yeah, well, let's get a little closer to home. Anxiety is on the rise in our culture. And I'm not judging because I struggle with anxiety too. But I would say that when I'm feeling anxious, it feels chaotic and confusing. But what has led to this rise in anxiety in our culture? Well, I have a hunch that one of the many things is that we as Americans, we are masters of comparison, right? And our culture constantly tells us we need more in order to be happy. And then we have social media at our fingertips reminding us of all the more that we don't have. So if I'm spending a few hours every single day of my life scrolling through, watching everybody else's luxury vacations, their new RVs, their perfectly matching families, their perfect marriage, and their all-star baseball-playing children, what is that going to produce in me? Maybe selfish ambition, because now I have to do whatever I have to do in order to get ahead and compete with those people. Maybe I end up in debt because now I'm going to go take out that loan for that RV that I can't afford. Maybe I start resenting my spouse because he's not doing what all the other husbands are doing. And maybe I end up jealous because I constantly see that my friends hang out without me. Before I know it, my finances, my relationships, my marriage, my heart is in a constant state of chaos because I'm anxious about all of these things, all because of jealousy and selfish ambition. So on a scale of one to 10, how chaotic does your life feel right now? James is telling us that this kind of wisdom is the opposite of what God wants for us. He says that this wisdom is actually evil and demonic. Let's read James 3:15 again. It says, for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. You see, Satan's goal from the beginning of time, as we see in Genesis, is to get humanity out of shalom with God. Now, what does shalom mean? Shalom is a Hebrew word that means to experience the fullness of God. When we're walking God's path for us, we experience shalom. We experience peace 
and abundance and contentment. And Satan wants nothing more than to push us off God's path for us. He doesn't want us to experience that fullness of God. He doesn't want us to experience peace and abundance and contentment. His desire is to destroy us. In fact, Jesus calls him the thief, and he says that his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And what better way for Satan to move people away from God than to get Christians to follow the same wisdom that the world follows so that our lives are characterized by the same chaos as everyone around us. This way, when people who don't follow Jesus look in at the church, they see a people who are just as in debt, just as combative, and whose relationships are just as broken as theirs. And there's really no reason for them to choose Jesus because we look no different. So there's a lot at stake here with this faith test, but there is an alternative. James then makes a huge contrast. So he spelled out the wisdom of the world and the emptiness of this wisdom. And then he shifts to the wisdom from above, God's wisdom. If the Jewish believers didn't get this right, they would lose credibility in their world where they were being persecuted. And in fact, they might have been tempted to behave in a different way, to avoid being treated so poorly. So not only were the stakes high for the Jewish believers, they're high for us today. If we don't shift our thinking, if we don't take a different approach, why do we even have the right to call ourselves Christians? This world craves and needs something different. James writes in chapter 3, verse 17, but. The word but inserts a new idea. How often have we said, yeah, yeah, I agree with you, but. But you don't, right? But start arguments with our kids, our coworkers. I believe James is actually asking for an argument because he's calling out this contrast that we need to pay attention to. He's calling us to live in a new way. He's pleading his case for something better, and we would do well to pay attention to what his but is all about. Continuing on, but the wisdom from above. Clearly, this wisdom is from a different source. It's from above, or as the message translation says, it's real wisdom, it's God's wisdom. It's not fake or manufactured or comparable to anything else in this world. Remember that but. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. If something is written in scripture first in a line of, of other concepts, it sets the tone for everything else. So it's this filter for all the other words to flow through. So purity is not about one aspect of our lives. It's the fact that Jesus has forgiven us. He makes us new. He purifies us. Therefore, if you haven't believed in him and you haven't asked for his forgiveness for your sins, you don't have access to live God's way. James is reminding the believers, you already have it, so live it out. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving. It is gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. These last three things go together. Our culture is full of no peace in so many areas. Talia just shared about this chaos. Yet living with peace, being gentle at all times and willing to yield to others is a really big ask. So a peace lover just doesn't go around like a hippie from the 70s with a peace sign. A peace lover takes everything into consideration and does what is best for all selflessly. Do people know you as a peacemaker? With the state of our world today, don't we need a few more of these? 
We have enough dividers coupled with this gentleness, which really means to be well-managed. I love that. Not angry or rash. Is that a character quality you can get behind? And then willing to yield to others. Loving peace is not about our rights or our way. It's about managing ourselves when we feel the squeeze in the context of disagreements, when others push those buttons, and when we feel like we aren't heard. This is hard stuff, really hard stuff. And that's why we go back to purity first. Having this relationship with Jesus right here, our vertical relationship is where this newness begins. He's washed us clean, so we get to live in that lane. Guys, I have a Tesla. I saved up, I paid it off, it drives itself on the freeway, and it stays in its lane. It's a beautiful thing. You just pull the gear shift once, and it stays an equal distance behind the car in front of it. You pull it a second time, and now it stays in its lane. It follows the curves, it stays away from cars around it, it won't leave its lane unless you flick the blinker and then it does it by itself. It doesn't get angry when it gets cut off and tail the car in front of it. And it doesn't react and change lanes erratically to get around the annoying car. We, we all need to act more like a Tesla controlled by God's wisdom. Our lane is purity, our lane is gentleness. Our lane is to be well-managed. Our lane is peace. And the wisdom from above goes on to say, it is full of mercy, the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. How do we fully understand this type of wisdom? Simply put, these traits demand that we don't judge. Yet me, I'm going to be honest, I'm a naturally judging person. I like to evaluate everything and organize it into categories. It makes me feel safe. I like it. This can be a strength, but it can also make me judgmental at times. Because I like black and white, I sometimes see myself as better than others, and I make snap judgments about people and put them into little boxes. This is where I need to take the faith test. And the faith test here is not about fearing that God's going to fail me, or that he's going to give me a failing grade, but that he's using things in my life to grow me closer to him, to make me more like him. Because I have this purity from him, this, this newness, I can draw on his example to look at others through that lens. In fact, let's look at this example for a moment. Jesus lived and breathed with wisdom from above that was selfless, and he did not show favoritism. He handled his disciples, his closest followers, with this. In Mark chapter 10, when two of them asked him to do whatever they wanted, and then proceeded to ask him who was his favorite and could they sit at his right and at his left in glory, he responded, he responded with, <clears throat> are you able to do what I have to do? Are you able to fulfill the whole going to the cross and dying for the sins of the world thing? No, you aren't. Therefore, you don't even get the right to ask the question, I don't play favorites. Then, of course, the rest of the disciples, they hear about this. They were mad at these two. They got out of their lane. Their anger buttons were triggered. So what does Jesus do? Jesus called them together and said, you know, the rulers in this world... They lord it over their people. And the officials, they flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you, 
must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to turn everything right side up, to restore all the things to what it should have been, that shalom. He opted for the opposite of what they asked for. He responded with mercy, no favoritism, and gentleness. Yet we aren't Jesus. This doesn't come natural for us, for you. I don't like to talk about my suffering at all. In fact, I like to put it up in a little box and put it over here. It's really hard to look at. Yet, today, I'm going to share I've been betrayed by several people over the years. A roommate, an employee, and a really great friend. And each one of these betrayals has come with an extreme amount of pain. My natural desire throughout this time, when these different seasons came, was to get back at them. Maybe respond with passive-aggressive text messages. Tell others about it. Get them on my team. Bring a little bit more chaos. But I go back to a scripture Paul wrote that I committed to memory 20 years ago. Who are you, Lauren, to judge the servant of another? To his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. I have quoted this verse over and over again throughout my life, declaring I am not the judge for another, even those who have hurt me deeply. This has changed my thinking and therefore my behavior. When we believe in Jesus, we have this wisdom from above. We get this lens of purity, and it shapes how we see others and how we treat them. Choosing God's wisdom, it's letting go of the old, and it's welcoming the new. It's choosing that purity lane in our minds and in our actions. And this only increases as we work together with, with God to live out his wisdom. So how do we know how we're doing in this faith cast? about this faith test is the direct correlation between us and each other. So both wisdom from heaven and wisdom from the earth affect others. They're not neutral. So such wisdom either affects others negatively or it affects others positively. And as Talia pointed out, the wisdom from the world breeds confusion and chaos and selfishness, jealousy, arguments. The list just goes on and on and on, right? And that directly affects others negatively. It causes strife and dissension and disunity and brokenness. Whereas the wisdom that comes from heaven has the good of others in its mind. See, God is in the business of restoration, fixing broken things. And wouldn't we all agree that this world is broken? And restoration is God's very character. It's seen all throughout scripture. It's seen in Jesus himself as he healed the sick and he fed the masses and he cared for the low in spirit. We see God's heart in the very fact that wisdom from heaven is others focused and that restoration is at its very center. See, Satan has been trying to destroy us, our relationships, our peace with God and with each other since the very beginning of time. And God is constantly restoring and mending and healing that which has been broken. Which then brings us to verse 18, where James says, and those who are peacemakers 
will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. As children of God, we are invited into God's restoration. We are invited by the very heart of God to be healed and mended and made whole. And then we're actually required by God to do the same for others, to be makers of restoration, to be makers of peace. Now, for those of us who call ourselves Christians, Jesus followers, this is where the rubber meets the road because as Talia said, what James is saying here is that God's ways are better than our ways and that life isn't just about us. We are called to be peacemakers. And when we sow seeds of peace, seeds of harmony and seeds of compassion and seeds of giving and seeds of goodness and good deeds, it eventually will produce a harvest of the same. And that leads to peace. For Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. As Christians today, do you think we're doing a good job of this? Are we peacemakers? I mean, am I sowing seeds of peace? What does that even really look like? Um, <laughs> this last couple of weeks, I've actually had a lot of opportunities to see what that looked like, to sow seeds of peace. And in some ways, I failed, and in some ways, I learned. I learned that I can sow seeds of peace when I'm driving on the freeway, and I choose to forgive the person who so rudely cut me off instead of cursing them in my mind or out loud <laughs> with the kids in the car. <laughs> I learned that I can sow seeds of peace when I'm in line at Target, and the lady in front of me is taking forever, and I choose to smile and nod my head in encouragement instead of having frustration written all over the place. I can sow seeds of peace when I help my child to see the best in someone else, even when it's hard or hurtful or really not the most popular thing to do. I can sow seeds of peace when I choose to um, apologize to my husband first. <laughs> and I can sow seeds of peace when I choose to reach out to someone that I know that has a completely different view on something than I do with the intention of listening and learning instead of trying to prove that they are wrong. So let's take this faith test because James says in verse 13 that if we are wise, then we should prove it. So let's ask ourselves this question. How am I doing with this, really? I mean, if we took a serious look at our lives over this last year, what was being squeezed out of us? Was it a harvest of comparison? Jealousy, chaos, confusion, or was it a harvest of good deeds and mercy and being willing to yield unto others? I mean, if you were to ask your spouse or your best friend or your coworkers what was being squeezed out of you, what would they say? I actually had the opportunity to ask this question. Um, it was during that season that I mentioned earlier, the trial that I walked through. Now, in that time, I was so confused I felt so betrayed, I felt so hurt, I felt really attacked, but I knew that God was allowing me to walk through that trial for a reason, and so I decided that I wanted to come out of that trial better than how I had went in. And so, I sought godly wisdom through a life coach. And the life coach told me to ask that question. And so I did, 
to quite a few different people. And I'll tell you, the answers that I received, they were really hard, but they were also really good. They were eye-opening and humbling, but sometimes they were also really encouraging. And I have to say that by the grace of God, because I went into that trial with the intention of listening and learning, I feel like I grew in that season and that I did come out of it changed. And that I am a different wife, a different mother, a different friend, coworker, pastor than I would have been had I not gone through that trial. See, because whether we know it or not, when we walk through a trial, the world is watching and they are listening. And we have a bigger picture that we should show them. Actually, a responsibility to show them this bigger picture of what wisdom from heaven looks like because we are called to be different. I mean, imagine if every single one of us here today, all of us who calls ourselves a Christian, what if we decided to be known by the peace that we brought instead of the chaos? Imagine what our homes, our businesses, our schools, our social media presence would look like if we chose wisdom from heaven instead of the wisdom from the earth. Would it have made a difference in this last year? Could it make a difference now? Because I really believe that if we chose today to be people who were known for that peace, to be people who were known for choosing the wisdom of God, then the world wouldn't be able to help themselves but to find out more about our God because of the difference that he has made in our lives. So if you're a Christian in the room today, I would challenge you, I would encourage you to examine your life Today, ask God, is there an area in your life that is characterized by chaos? Maybe that you've been following the world's wisdom rather than God's wisdom? I would challenge you over the next 30 days to make a change. Choose to live by God's wisdom and see if God replaces your chaos with peace. And maybe that's in a marriage or maybe it's in your finances or maybe it's in your social media presence. But choose to make a difference in the next 30 days by living according to God's wisdom. And if you're not a Jesus follower and you're watching this today, and maybe one of the reasons you've resisted Christianity is because it seems like all of the Christians you know lead lives that are characterized by chaos. I wanna apologize to you for not representing God accurately. As you heard today, God is loving, he's selfless, he's merciful, and he's full of peace. And he loves you so much and desires to have a relationship with you and give you access to his wisdom so that you don't have to live a life full of chaos and confusion. You can live a life full of peace. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you and to take on your sin and your shame and your hurt and your chaos. And he offers you forgiveness and freedom and he offers you an invitation to follow him. So today, if you want that, I'm gonna lead a prayer in a moment and I'm gonna ask you to repeat the words after me and you could just whisper them or say them in your heart and you're just gonna tell Jesus that you want to follow him. And maybe you're listening today and you used to be a Christian, but you've walked away from the Lord and today you wanna come back to him The awesome thing about our God is that he is a God of second chances. And so I'd love to invite you to pray this prayer with me as well. And after we pray this prayer, we're going to ask you to take another step that's going to help you solidify this this decision that you're making. 
So whether you're choosing to follow Jesus for the first time or you're choosing to come back to him, and if you're in the room or on the patio or online, would you pray with me right now? And would you repeat these words after me? Let's pray. Say these words if you're going to say, if you're asking Jesus um, to come into your life. Say, God, I recognize that you are God and I am not. I believe that your way is better than mine. I know that you love me and that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me and heal me. Free me from anything or anyone that's holding me back from you. Fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit. I say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen if you prayed that.